is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Not everybody thrills with the CDC's new recommendations on masks. Big Nurses Union says it's too soon to let vaccinated people go out and about most anywhere without a mask. They say it's too reckless and then it's just confusing. More and more people are getting vaccinated but still have questions. We have the answers from a doctor. Traffic getting back to normal with some changes, though. We'll explain how it's the same but also different. So we'll sort that one out for you. Lipstick and other makeup sales could shoot back up again now that people are headed out without masks. We will start, though, with the nurses against the new CDC recommendations on the masks. Sandy Redding, president of the California Nurses Association, vice president, National Nurses United. So, Sandy, what do you think of removing the masks, even though California is going to wait uh, at least an extra month? Well, hello, Charles and Mike. Um, Thank you for having me today. And I am encouraged by uh, the California, you know, the state saying that they were going to uh, make sure that the provisions were not going to be relaxed until June. Um, And I think that's very wise. You know, only 49% of Californians are fully vaccinated. And there are still areas of California. I I live in Bakersfield, California, and we have a high Latinx population and we have um, an African-American population. And these uh, communities of color have been disproportionately affected by COVID. So, you know, the fact that the variants are out there um, and We want to make sure that uh, we have all the provisions to take care of the patients when we do see them in the hospital. Uh, Currently, we're still reusing an extended use of N95 respirators, and we're still awaiting the the OSHA temporary standard for aerosolized uh, transmission. We need those guidelines out there because that means that as a minimum standard, the N95 respirator would be what we would be using. Um, and currently that's not what's happening. So we do urge them to uh, get that guideline out there so that the hospitals will comply. We want to make sure we have single use N95 respirators so that we don't spread it to our patients and that um, we can, we're not taking it home to our families either. Okay. So, so let, let, let's take it to the um, 15th of June, which is when California is saying it will more than likely align itself with what the, uh, CDC said last week, but we still have a dilemma, don't we? Because the the whole thing is based on people fully vaccinated. But since we don't have in this country yet anything that is equivalent to a uh, vaccine passport, even on the 15th of, of June, how are we going to really know who's vaccinated and who's not and who's just decided to take off the mask regardless? You're exactly right. That is a major concern. There is no way of verifying who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. And that would put the public health and safety at risk. So that is a big, genuine concern of ours. I'm wondering, though, if there's a different way to to shift the perspective on this, that it's not so much we need to really fear the variants or the breakthrough cases because they're very rare and the vaccines do protect you mostly from the variants. But it's a move to make Sure, there's more confidence in the vaccine that that a lot, although not enough, people have had. If you're saying, yes, you can remove your masks, then people will really believe in that vaccine. And then, you know, we needed off-ramps from this someday, and this is the biggest off-ramp that we can take. Well, I think we need a comprehensive approach, just like what we've 
done. And, and wearing a mask um, is a huge part of that component. And it has prevented the spread and transmission of this, this horrible virus. And, you know, I don't think that enough research has been done. You know, it, these are novel viruses. So of course, um, we're saying that the vaccines are very important and very effective. We do, we would like to see um, how effective they are against the, the variants that are out there. We want to, the CDC has said that they weren't going to be tracking um, the fully vaccinated people. So if they have a breakthrough case, they're not going to be tracked and traced. And we feel that that's very important. It's also important to continue testing because we want to make sure that we're not um, transmitting it. And especially since the CDC did state that it is airborne and we need to be careful um, with airborne precautions, that's just part of the part of it is the mask. So I think you're, you're right. Um, and only 49% of California is fully vaccinated. So we need to do a better job at educating and reaching out to the vulnerable communities that are disproportionately affected. I think you said, Sandy, you're in the Bakersfield area, right? Uh, how many people there that you just pass on any given day, would you say, uh, have given up on masks, whether vaccinated or not? Unfortunately, we see in our communities that there are people that are not wearing masks in the grocery stores. Um, and that just puts the rest of the public at risk. And even if someone says they're vaccinated, it's it's still a viable means to prevent transmission, right? And, and so we wanna make sure that that's happening. The people that are tired of wearing masks, everybody's tired of wearing masks, you know, all of us are but it's the single most important thing to keep our, it's it's part of a comprehensive approach to keep our communities healthy. And so um, you're right. There are people that don't believe in the science. There are people that are refusing to wear masks. Um, we're hoping that they that they wear masks and that we're hoping that the, the stores will make sure that people do that, um, especially, and then we will see what happens in June so that we can reevaluate based on science. And the best way to, to reach these communities that have the low vaccine uptake is is what, in your opinion? Well, I myself have volunteered. I, I, I went to Los Angeles and I um, I gave hundreds of vaccines for a full week. Um, and that was in a community of color that was uh, targeted because the, the vaccination rates were very low there. So I think we need to look at that. Um, and then in my own community, the day after that, I... I um, volunteered again with uh, our labor council and community, you know, the community college, and we did a drive-through and administered a thousand vaccines. So um, we were we were trying to hit the communities that are most vulnerable, that don't have access to computers or means of getting to a place like a car. Um, and, and I think it's critical that we educate. Um, we also I also volunteered at a, a clinic um, at Forty Acres in Delano. Uh, for farm workers. So I think it's critical that we identify the populations that are at, at risk and go to them um, and educate. Um, and, and it's important for people to also, you know, wear, lead by example and wear the mask. Sandy Redding, president of the California Nurses Association, vice president, National Nurses United. Sandy, thanks. Questions remain over the vaccines, even though more people are getting their shots every day. Doctors all over the U.S. and world are answering the same ones all the time. How effective are they? Will I get side effects? Are they working well right now as a whole? Dr. Ross McKinney, Chief Scientific Officer of the Association of American Medical Colleges. He talks to KYW's Matt Leon, says the most common question is, do the vaccines work as well as they say they do? 
And the answer there is yes. The next question is, why are people not getting it? And, you know, it's very perplexing for me because when a vaccine is this good and the disease is that bad, when the disease has, you know, a fatality rate of 2%, a one in 50 chance of dying, you know, when you get it, if you're in the right age subset, you go, whoa, they should all want to be vaccinated. And if you actually look at the country, older folks largely have gotten vaccinated. So the question I main, mainly get is, why are people not getting vaccinated? And I have to admit, it seems like it's politics, maybe a little just worry about side effects. But in fact, these are so good. It just doesn't make sense. What's the most common misconception people have about the vaccines? Is there something you hear, not consistently, but something at the top of the list that when people talk about they're hesitant or they're worried, something that they're worried about that really isn't based in scientific data or fact? I would say there were two things that people say when they're worried about. Number one is that it was rushed. Number two is some worry that it's going to affect their genes. And and, and I can clear those away fairly quickly, because in fact, it was developed fairly quickly, but the same kind of studies were done to get the emergency use authorization, which is something the FDA could do when there's a public health emergency. They did the same kind of test, 30,000 people. I mean, it, these were big studies. We know what these vaccines are like. They've now been given you know, to, to hundreds of millions of people. We know what the side effect profile is. We know how well they work. There is nothing rushed about these vaccines other than trying to get them out there as quickly as we could. And it's pretty remarkable how quickly it was done, but it was done. And we have a very good end product. In terms of does anything stick in your genes? No. RNA the body breaks RNA down pretty quickly. That's how we normally make proteins. We take, run off a copy of an mRNA off of the, the genes in the nucleus of a cell. That RNA gets produced. It gets broken down after the protein gets made because the cell doesn't want to keep making the same proteins again and again and again. The same thing's true with the vaccine. The RNA breaks down, so it doesn't hang around. So you get a blast of effect from the vaccine, and then basically it gets digested. So it's pretty cool. There's nothing to worry about it hanging around. When it comes to side effects, I know when I was vaccinated, first shot, nothing. Second shot, about 18 hours after I got it, I felt fatigued, some chills, but I laid down for a few hours and it passed. Uh-huh. When we're talking overall, is that common for side effects? People that maybe haven't been vaccinated, that maybe haven't are on the fence or whatever, what could they expect? What should they expect when it comes to side effects? Well, yours were absolutely typical side effects. Mine were also typical. I didn't have any, basically. I had a Moderna vaccine and eh, maybe I felt like a little, I put on a sweater one the second night because it felt like I had a little chill. That was it basically nothing. My wife, on the other hand, got really tired and just couldn't do anything the day after the vaccination. So that's sort of the range. Some people will feel pretty crummy, but it's a small percentage. And most people go through it pretty quickly. The other ringer, though, is people who have had COVID will get that same kind of reaction on their first dose instead of the second, because this vaccine works as what's called a prime 
boost. The first time you stimulate the immune system a little, you get it going, recognizing the virus, but there's a limit to how much you build up a pool of B cells. Then a few weeks later, you come back and you boost the heck out of it because all those cells are ready to be amplified to start making antibodies. So you boost it and you get this huge antibody response. Well, people who've been infected before who really had COVID before, when they get that first dose, it's almost as if they'd already had their prime. So basically they get the boost. So they get the side effects of the boost instead of the milder effects of the prime. It's one thing, and you talk about the, the studies and the, the everything that went into before the vaccines were readily available. Has the real world, world data matched up with exactly what you, we saw in trials and stuff like that? Is it even a little better or a little worse? Where does it fall? It it falls, if anything, it falls better, but it looks very close. You can look at a country like Israel where they had 50,000 cases, I think, in January, something like that. They had like 400 cases now. And it's the reason it fell so quickly is because of vaccination. And the other thing is we're seeing that the vaccines work against the variants, at least the, the ones that are authorized in the U.S., work against the variants. So, you know, and there have been studies like Uh, There was a study at UCLA looking at healthcare workers. The number was that less than 1.2% of people who were vaccinated got infected, and most of them just had asymptomatic infections. So these are really impressive vaccines. They make a difference. And that's why we can start to get changes in the mask rules, because the vaccines are so effective. You know, things are slowly returning to normal. If you've been stuck in traffic lately, it's getting bad again here in Southern California. And even when it's good... It's still bad. Thing is, morning commutes still on the better side. Afternoons are not. Bob Pishu, transportation analyst for Inrix. So, Bob, do we know why it's so bad in the afternoons now? We're noticing that around the country, uh, that the afternoon evening commute uh, in a lot of places is just as bad as it was uh, pre-COVID or in 2019. Uh, but a much lighter uh, morning peak uh, traffic. And a lot of that is due in in a lot of places to uh, telecommuting and just different travel travel habits, uh, schools being out or, or in hybrid. So there are a lot of factors going into why uh, traffic patterns have shifted. Okay, yeah. So we got a bunch of people going back to offices and, and workplaces, but still there's plenty of people working from home. So I guess if I'm at home, maybe if I try and wrap up by the, the middle of the afternoon or something, now I'm probably itching to get out, so I'm going to leave. Or maybe now that the world is back to normal, I have more places to be or I've got kids to pick up or take to practice or, or something that for months and months I, I couldn't do at all. And maybe a lot of that is at three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, and, and what we're seeing too is that a lot of the midday traffic patterns are similar uh, to pre-COVID as well. So think noon, one o'clock. So people are getting out of the house and going to do things. And as you mentioned, uh, a lot of those things that drive traffic, uh, you know, pun intended, drive traffic are uh, things like retail being open, shopping, schools, universities, you name it. So as those open up, uh, we'll likely see uh, travel times continue to, to get a little bit worse. So people are getting up later, you think? Uh, uh, the work from home uh, shift may have got people, you know, sleeping in a, a few minutes uh, extra. Um, but we think that they're taking a lot more uh, recreational trips. So what we're also noticing is that activity is pretty high on the weekends and pretty high during the, those off-peak hours, which tend to be a little bit more recreational or, or shopping focused. So we think that uh, those trips are still going on in the day, whether it be to parks or, um, you know, retail shopping or whatever it may be. 
And your morning commute is real dependent on the offices, right? No matter where they are, especially, I mean, if we're talking like a downtown area, if, you're, if your skyscraper is still mostly empty, well, that's a lot of people that would normally fill that thing up every day that still aren't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we looked at that for a bunch of, uh, I think, 25 metro areas. What what was happening in the region and what was happening to downtown specifically? And in pretty much every region that we looked at, uh, the downtown was, uh, trips to downtown were significantly down while trips regionally were kind of down. So yeah, that downtown centralized kind of commute and, uh, you know, focus uh, has really taken the, the largest hit uh, during COVID-19. Do these sort of traffic patterns periodically change regardless of the pandemic? Is there sort of a natural uh, flow to these things every so often they kind of change? Or is this the first real uh, significant change we've seen in in how many years? Yeah. So, uh, well, it is it's the most significant change we've seen since basically traffic data has been recorded. So we saw a little bit of a downturn in driving uh, during the Great Recession. Uh, But typically, you know, your normal year, you'll see a a few percentage points increase in the amount people drive. Uh, So this, you know, just like so many other things is unprecedented. But really going forward, it's about how does the work from home you know, how does that continue? Is it, you know, are people just going to go into hybrid where it's part home, part work, or how that really shakes out is really going to change uh, how our transportation system is used. Bob Pissu, transportation analyst for Inrix. Coming up after this short break, investing in lipstick soon could pay off. Many companies in the beauty space are anticipating a jump in lipstick and cosmetic sales, as more people are able to go out in public without wearing a mask. I did see a tweet that said, I'm investing in the lipstick futures. <laughs> uh, retail expert Jan Rogers-Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers-Niffen Worldwide, with WBBM's Jim Gudis, who asked how much sales of lipstick and other cosmetics uh, dropped during the pandemic. Well, cosmetics in general was pretty good, but most of it was treatments, and that's where the strength came in. So, yes, lipstick was not strong for the obvious reason. It mucks up your mask if you have it on under your mask. But what's the first thing you do when you take off your mask? You buy new lipstick. Well, maybe not me and you, but half of the population does. And we're going to see an explosion in fruit that what we think of as cosmetic, which is makeup and lipstick that was really hard to wear under a mask. And we may see a little bit of fade back in treatments because obviously when you're standing at your machine all day looking at your face on something like Zoom, you're going, wow, I didn't know that line was there. And so treatments did really well. Now I think what we see is the explosion in the other side of the game, which is color and, of course, uh, or, uh, makeup. Is there any transition in how makeup sales went before the pandemic and now afterwards as people kind of learned what they could get by with and without? Are we going to see any kind of transition on that front? Yeah, I think I was stunned prior to COVID, how well we were doing with makeup, right? And that was mostly because selfies and Facebook and Instagram and all that required people to be wearing makeup all of the time. I thought it might have been fading out by now in society, but it sure blossomed after everybody went on camera. So we were seeing real strength in things like color and treatments and all that stuff already before COVID. Then after COVID, we saw some change, right? Like I say, treatments became very popular to color 
and the actual makeup weren't as popular because you can't wear it under a mask. Now I think we see a real shift, but I think we'll see an explosion probably in both sides because I think treatments will probably continue, and then I think the color and the makeup will explode. And so I think if you're Sephora or you're Ulta or even if you're Sauter, you will probably see real strength. You know, Ulta just went into Target and Sephora just went into Kohl's, and they'll start building out even more locations and being more accessible to more people. So I think that'll help, but I think they're doing it at the exactly right time. So I think we'll see real strength all across the category. Jan Rogers-Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers-Niffen Worldwide in New York. Thanks, as always, for your insight. If you like a nice pint of cold beer inside a warm pub in Great Britain, you can now finally enjoy that comfort again. Pubs and restaurants in the country are open indoors for the first time since early January. The Prime Minister, however, urged people to be cautious because of the spread of a more contagious COVID-19 variant first found in India. The latest step in the gradual easing of restrictions in Britain also saw theaters, sports venues, and museums reopen. International travel is also now permitted. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 